Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Bodhidharma's wake-up sermon. Every suffering is a Buddha seed. Someone who seeks the way doesn't look beyond himself. He knows that the mind is the way. But when he finds the mind, he finds nothing. And when he finds the way, he finds nothing. If you think you can use the mind to find the way, you're deluded. When you're deluded, Buddhahood exists. When you're aware, it doesn't exist. This is because awareness is Buddhahood. To see form but not be corrupted by form, or to hear sound but not be corrupted by sound, is liberation. Eyes that aren't attached to form are the gates of Zen. Ears that aren't attached to sound are also the gates of Zen. In short, those who perceive the existence and nature of phenomena and remain unattached are liberated. Those who perceive the external appearance of phenomena are at their mercy. Not to be subject to affliction is what's meant by liberation. There's no other liberation. When you know how to look at form, form doesn't give rise to mind, and mind doesn't give rise to form. Form and mind are both pure. When delusions are absent, the mind is the land of Buddhas. When delusions are present, the mind is hell. Mortals create delusions. And by using the mind to give birth to mind, they always find themselves in hell. Bodhisattvas see through delusions. And by not using the mind to give birth to mind, they always find themselves in the land of Buddhas. If you don't use your mind to create mind, every state of mind is empty and every thought is still. You go from one Buddha land to another. If you use your mind to create mind, every state of mind is disturbed and every thought is in motion. You go from one hell to the next Every suffering is a Buddha seed because suffering impels mortals to seek wisdom. But you can only say that suffering gives rise to Buddhahood. You can't say that suffering is Buddhahood. Your body and mind 
are the field. Suffering is the seed, wisdom the sprout, and Buddhahood the grain. Our endless sufferings are the roots of illness. When mortals are alive, they worry about death. When they're full, they worry about hunger. Theirs is the great uncertainty. But sages don't consider the past. And they don't worry about the future. Nor do they cling to the present. And from moment to moment, they follow the way. If you haven't awakened to this great truth, you'd better look for a teacher on earth or in the heavens. Don't compound your own deficiency. to see everybody again and to see people without masks. It's a wonderful thing. It's been a while. Rohatsu we did here and everybody had the masks on. The only time I had a mask off the entire Rohatsu I think was when I was giving Dharma talks. And that gets old. But don't don't sleep on the pandemic. It's it's in a lull right now. But stay aware, stay awake, be careful. But right now we're very fortunate. We can be together, no masks. We can even give each other hugs, at least after session. So an unexpected surprise: snow in April. How beautiful, how beautiful. I just, I couldn't believe what a gift we were getting yesterday, looking out and, and the flakes falling and the trees, the naked trees, suddenly wearing a festive garment, just so wonderful, really, really wonderful. And just now the sun came out for just a moment and the snow was sparkling. So I've been talking now for a while about Bodhidharma and um, this is probably the last Bodhidharma I'm going to do for a while. Um, I've gone through most of his sermons, excerpts of most of his sermons. There's always more that you can talk about there. There's so much, they're so rich. And I definitely recommend anybody who has not uh, read Bodhidharma. There's a wonderful translation of 
the only texts that we have that have been attributed to him, and nobody's really sure if, if he wrote any or all of them, but they are attributed to him, no reason to think that they're not his. Um, and a wonderful translation by Red Pine, a red book called The Zen Teachings of Bodhidharma, highly recommend it. The, what I'm talking about today is excerpts from his wake-up sermon. It's a much longer sermon than this. Um, and I've given several talks about it already. I think most people know who Bodhidharma is and what his story was, so I don't think I have to go into too much detail. Um, he was not the person who brought Buddhism to China. That is false. Um, he was uh, arriving in China at a time when there were many, many, many Buddhist temples and many, many, many Buddhist monks. What he brought was his particular genius and his particular emphasis and spiritual insight, which resulted in the Zen lineage. Every Zen teacher, every Zen organization, every temple can trace its lineage back to Bodhidharma. And I believe that's true not only in Japan and China, but also in Korea and Vietnam and other places that are uh, homes to Zen Buddhism. He was a figure that it's easy to romanticize if the stories are to be believed. He was one of the few people who insulted the emperor of China and got away with it. No, nothing bad happened to him. He was simply allowed to leave. The emperor was none too pleased, but he was uh, mollified when his advisor told him, uh, actually, this is the incarnation of Avalokiteshvara. And the emperor said, hmm, okay, <laughs> I can take it from Avalokiteshvara. The story, if you want a more accurate interpretation, is the first of the uh, Blue Cliff record, the Hekigan Roku. So, in this text, Bodhidharma starts by saying, someone who seeks the way doesn't look beyond himself. And first, I want to just make note of the pronoun himself and he. Um, this is how it appears in the translation. Um, frequently, when I 
give talks, I will change the pronouns, sometimes uh, female, sometimes male. Uh, this time it was t the turn for, for the guys. So that's the only reason for that pronoun. Someone who seeks the way doesn't look beyond himself. He knows that the mind is the way. But when he finds the mind, he finds nothing. And when he finds the way, he finds nothing. So already we have some provocative statements. Number one, don't look beyond yourself. Dogen famously said to study Zen is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by the 10,000 things. To study the self means don't look beyond yourself. This body, this mind, this cushion, this moment, right now, right here, is really all that you need in Zen training. Of course, it helps if you have an environment such as this and a wonderful teacher like Shinge Roshi. But it all starts right here, right now, this body, this mind, moment to moment. To study the self is to forget the self. That's another way of saying when you find yourself, you find nothing. When you study the mind, you find nothing. When you study the way, you find nothing. This is counter to everything that we've been taught in life. When you study, you study so you get good grades, you get good grades so you can go to a good school, you go to a good school so you can get a good job, you get a good job so you can get a good house, you get a good life, blah, 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 and it goes on and on. You do this so you can get that, right? Not in Zen. You do this so you can get nothing. <laughs> the big zip, nada. And that's really confusing because, I mean, well, what do we do with all these books and, and lectures and, and Taishos and and we, you know, get together and we chant and we, what do we got out of all this? Nothing. It's perfectly all right if you feel confused at this point. If you think you can use the mind to find the way you're deluded. Also, if you think you can look it up 
on Wikipedia or in your book of koans or in a Buddhist dictionary or any other text, including this one, you're deluded. When you're deluded, Buddhahood exists. That is to say that you think you're chasing after something. Oh yeah, I'm going to be a Buddha. Yay! I'm going to be a Bodhisattva. Yay! No. No. You're not going to be any more Buddha than you are right now. Maybe you'd be less confused than you are right now, but you're not going to be any more Buddha than you are right now. When you're deluded, Buddhahood exists. When you're aware, it doesn't exist. Buddha never said he was Buddha. And this is because awareness is Buddhahood. Buddha means to be aware, to be awake, to look at things as they are. That's all it is, just look at things as they are. This pain that I have in my knees is, much, is as much Buddhahood as any exaltation. The heat that I feel in my cheeks right now is as much Buddhahood as the coolest, most refreshing breeze. To be aware is to be Buddha. And right now I'm a thirsty Buddha. To see form, but not be corrupted by form, or to hear sound, but not be corrupted by sound, is liberation. Eyes that aren't attached to form are the gates of Zen. Ears that aren't attached to sound are also the gates of Zen. In the beautiful poem that we read today, Trust in Mind. So Sanganji Zenji starts off by saying, the perfect way is not difficult. Only don't be caught up in preferences. Don't be corrupted by form. When Buddha Shakyamuni finished his eight-day session, his own private session, 
and saw on the morning of the eighth day the morning star. That was the moment in which all his doubts were erased. Eyes that aren't attached to form are the gates of Zen. Ears that aren't attached to sound are also the gates of Zen. There's a wonderful story about Kyogen Osho, who was a disciple of Isan. Kyogen was a remarkable person. He was very much like Obaku Rinzai's teacher, who may have been his contemporary. He was extraordinarily tall. He was said to be seven feet tall, and he was a scholar. He had read everything, every text. He was erudite and eloquent and could answer any question concerning Buddhist dogma. And he went to study with Isan. Apparently, he had studied with Yakujo along with Isan. Yakujo was Obaku's teacher. Obaku was Rinzai's teacher. So Isan and Kyogen were contemporaries, but Isan was a little more advanced at the time. He was already a master. And Isan said to him, you have so much knowledge. You know so much. Yakujo would ask a question, and you had 10 answers for every question. If there were 10 questions, you had 100 answers. But tell me, what is your true self? the self that existed before you came out of your mother's womb. What is your true self? And Isan waited for an answer. But this time, Kyogen couldn't say a word. He was dumbfounded. What is my true self? What is my true self? He went to his books and he studied. He looked through and there was no answer to this question. Finally, out of frustration, he burned all of his notes and his texts. 
and he said goodbye to Isan. And he went off to the shrine of the national teacher, Chu. And he became a caretaker. Every day he would sweep the paths, tend the flowers, the gardens, keeping everything bright and clean. And he forgot all about Zen. He forgot all about his texts and he would sweep and sweep and sweep. And one day he swept the path and a pebble went against a bamboo. And that sound something happened. His whole world collapsed and everything that he knew he had found nothing. And he laughed and he cried and he burned incense to honor Isan. for stealing away everything that he had, for taking it all away so that he could find nothing. These are ears that aren't attached to sound. Ears that aren't attached to sound are the gates of Zen. In short, those who perceive the existence and nature of phenomena and remain unattached are liberated. Those who perceive the external appearance of phenomena are at their mercy. That isn't to say that we blind ourselves to external phenomena. To be awake and aware is important. To know what you're looking at is important. 
To not lie about what you see is important, whether that's what you see in yourself or in others or in the world at large. Discernment is vital. That's not what Bodhidharma is saying when he says those who perceive the external appearance of phenomena. Those who are caught up in appearances and weave tales about what they see are at the mercy of phenomena. Not to be subject to affliction is what's meant by liberation. There's no other liberation. You could probably do an entire taste show just on that one sentence, not to be subject to affliction. What does that mean? Again, going back to trust in mind. In the beginning of trust in mind, so Sanganchi Zenji says, if you're caught by grasping and aversion, heaven and earth are set apart. Not to be subject to affliction, not to be caught by grasping and aversion, not to be caught by preferences, not to be caught by anything just seeing what is there as Buddha saw the morning star. There's no other liberation. When you know how to look at form, form doesn't give rise to mind and mind doesn't give rise to form. Form and mind are both pure. All of that sweeping that Kyogen Osho did, it's just like the breath, just in and out, in and out, sweeping, sweeping, sweeping. And with all of that sweeping, the breath in, the breath out. It's inevitable that something will spark your awareness 
and you'll realize this same nothing that Kyogen realized. The same nothing that Shakyamuni realized looking at the morning star. You don't have to burn all of your books and all of your notes. You don't have to find a shrine and become a caretaker. You actually already have a shrine. It's this thing right here. This is your shrine. And you can take good care of it. You can do your sweeping moment by moment. When you know how to look at form, form doesn't give rise to mind and mind doesn't give rise to form. Form and mind are both pure. When delusions are absent, the mind is the land of Buddhas. When delusions are present, the mind is hell. Mortals create delusions. And by using the mind to give birth to mind, they always find themselves in hell. If you're wondering what this means, just turn on the news. And I don't care if it's Fox News or CNN. If you want to see people using mind to create hell. Watch 15 minutes of cable news and you will feel that you have visited hell and count yourself lucky if you can get out. When delusions are present, the mind is hell. The war in Ukraine, caused entirely by the delusions in the mind of one individual. Today is the 55th anniversary of the death of Martin Luther King. And the delusions that surrounded that great man resulted in his assassination. (laughs) 
mortals create delusions. And by using the mind to give birth to mind, by giving absolute importance to the most outrageous delusions, hell is created. By using the mind to give birth to mind, they always find themselves in hell. Bodhisattvas see through delusions. And by not using the mind to give birth to mind, they always find themselves in the land of Buddhas. If you don't use your mind to create mind, Every state of mind is empty, and every thought is still. So what is your true face before you were born? Or as Yisun put it to Kilgan, what is your true self before you came out of your mother's womb? Before you were named Giyun or Ryoju or Shinge Roshi or Hokuto what was your mind then? And if you look for your mind now, what will you find? And how will you look for it? You can't look for it by using your mind. You can't see your eye by looking at your eye. You can't find your head by using your head. What is your true self? And how are you looking for it? Kyogen didn't even know he was looking for his true self. He was just sweeping. Sweeping, sweeping, sweeping. And if you sit in the zendo and think you're looking for your true self, you're going to get very far away from your true self. Just sit there and breathe. Pay attention. Breathe. This nothing will creep up on you when you're not looking for it. 
And there's nothing magical about the breath. You know, we, we do that because it's, it's easy, or at least simple. Maybe not easy. Easy may, may not be the best word for it. Awareness, awareness, awareness. When your knee hurts, you don't have to turn away from it. You don't have to pretend that, oh, I'm, I'm doing meditation. That means I must be in some sort of blissful state. No, it's okay. It's okay if it hurts. And it's okay if you're honest about it hurting. And it's okay if you're bored, and it's okay if you're confused, and it's okay if whatever is happening is happening. What's not okay is you're not aware of it happening. Or you want something else to be happening in its place. Everything that is given to you is given to you as a gift. This includes the pain, it includes the boredom, it includes the confusion. Every suffering is a Buddha seed because suffering impels mortals to seek wisdom. Shakyamuni Buddha did not seek wisdom because he thought that that was a great thing to do. He sought wisdom because he was so shocked when he saw suffering. When he encountered illness, old age and death, in a life which had been so pampered, so comfortable. Of course, the comforts that existed in India 500 years before the Common Era were probably relatively primitive compared to the comforts that we have today, air conditioning and all sorts of wonders to anesthetize ourselves and keep ourselves from experiencing suffering. But it doesn't matter. You can't get away from it. Every new and improved item is just a new and improved form of suffering. And every suffering is a Buddha seed. The pain that you feel is the engine of your motion 
towards realizing that self that existed before your parents were born. You don't have to go anywhere. You've got all the motivation you need. You've got all the tools that you need. You've got a body. You've got a mind. You've got breath. As long as the breath lasts. You even have a cushion to sit on. And you even have a teacher to tell you when you're getting off the track and going into paths that bear no fruit. Every suffering is a Buddha seed because suffering impels mortals to seek wisdom. But you can only say that suffering gives rise to Buddhahood. You can't say that suffering is Buddhahood. Christianity, they talk about crucifixion and resurrection. No resurrection without crucifixion. No Buddhahood without suffering. Every suffering is a Buddha seed. That doesn't mean that Crucifixion is resurrection. That doesn't mean that suffering is Buddhahood. But the two are inseparable. The necessary condition for realizing Buddhahood is suffering. The necessary condition for finding nothing is looking. Even if you don't know that nothing is what you're looking for. To make the effort to pay attention, to stay with it, to persevere. To be ready to sacrifice your body, your time, to give yourself. This is the greatest generosity. This is the true 
paramita of dana to give yourself someone who seeks the way doesn't look beyond himself herself their self they give themselves with perseverance with discipline with concentration you can probably feel the difference already from the first day of session to now your body may hurt it may even hurt more than it did but there's something that's changed in your relationship to that pain in your relationship to the struggle You're digging deeper, faster, with a sense of purpose, not just wandering in your mind. There's a focus that develops And there's no substitute for time. The time that goes into being there, being with it. From the first sitting that we did on Friday evening, to now everything has changed your body has changed your mind has changed the universe has changed the only thing that hasn't changed is nothing but maybe you're getting some glimpse of this nothing. Some tingle in the back of the mind, some easing of the breath, some sense of Here, now, breath, just being with it. Your body and mind are the field. Suffering is the seed. Wisdom, the sprout and Buddhahood, the grain. 
Your body and mind are the field. Suffering is the seed. Wisdom, the sprout. And Buddhahood, the grain. A wonderful metaphor, but it does sound like you're getting something. So I'll read again the opening. Someone who seeks the way doesn't look beyond himself. Don't look at the Buddha. Don't look at the field. Don't look at the seed. Don't look at the grain. Just look at this. He knows that the mind is the way, but when he finds the mind, he finds nothing. To study the self is to forget the self, to find nothing. And when you find nothing, the 10,000 things are all illuminating, all enlightening. Our endless sufferings are the roots of illness. When mortals are alive, they worry about death. When they're full, They worry about hunger. Theirs is the great uncertainty. The great uncertainty. The great uncertainty is what died when the pebble hit the bamboo. When the morning star shone on the eighth day, or when Shakyamuni held out a flower and Kashapa smiled. The great uncertainty died. Sages don't consider the past and they don't worry about the future nor do they cling to the present. Where have we heard this before? The more you read Bodhidharma or Rinzai or Eno, or any of the old masters, the more you realize that it's all been said 
over and over and over again. We chant the Diamond Sutra, we chant the Heart Sutra, we shout Mu. Mu is the first clue. It means nothing, nothing. When you find the mind, you find nothing. So don't hold on to the past. Don't worry about the future. And don't cling to the present. That's, that line was stolen from the Diamond Sutra. And from moment to moment, the sages follow the way. If you haven't awakened to this great truth, you'd better look for a teacher on earth or in the heavens. Fortunately, you have a teacher here, Shinge Roshi, Chigan Roshi, and as Bodhidharma says, don't compound your own deficiency. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.